I know I completed the series in Genesis, but there's a story in Joshua that I just feel led that I want to share with you. And why don't you read it along with me and on the screen above uh, to yourselves and I'll, I'll read it out loud. It's a story found in Joshua chapter two. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. So that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Shihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now, then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them. And that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived on was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. The men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father, mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head and we will not be responsible as for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. 
But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands and all the people are melting in fear because of us. These opening chapters of the book of Joshua read like an Ian Fleming novel, you know, the James Bond 007 types. I mean, it has military conquest, espionage, adventure, suspense a dramatic chase scene, and, of course, a beautiful woman. This action-packed thriller takes place in the first stages of a military conquest. These former slaves in Egypt, the Jews, were going to the land that God had promised them, promised their father Abraham that his descendants would settle. The field general is Joshua, a seasoned veteran, of many campaigns and had learned the ropes under Moses. After waiting for 40 years, wandering in the wilderness, these people were ready to take the land God had given them. The book of Joshua then opens up with them camped east of the Jordan River. Joshua sends two men from his reconnaissance team to spy out the land, especially the city of Jericho, which was famous for its great walls, and it was just a few miles across the Jordan River to the west in, in Canaan. So that's the predictable strategy, what Joshua did. The twist comes when they meet the heroine of the story, or more precisely, the madam. Her name is Rahab, and her occupation, prostitution. The King James Version calls her Rahab the harlot. I wonder how she was introduced at parties. Here's Joe, the camel driver, and Sarah, the sheep herder, and Bob, the tent maker. And oh, yes, Rahab, the harlot. I wonder if filling out documentation, last name, harlot, first name, Rahab, middle name, the. So the spies came to Jericho and went to her house. Think of her house as like an inn. A, a house of the rising sun, a bed and breakfast, the perfect place where people didn't ask a lot of questions. Perfect place for two spies who wanted to learn some pertinent information. And her place was strategically located between the walls of the city. That was a double walled city it had an exterior wall and an interior wall. And her house, like probably many others, were built in between on those walls. And it had a rear exit, which would be convenient for the people, the men coming to her house to slip out. Or rather, rather than a rear exit, it was a rear window where they could quickly escape if need be. Now, I'm assuming that these men came to her house and it was strictly business, which is typical of cop shows you watch. 
they go to the local bar or local strip club to find out information and get a few leads. Well, they got answers all right. Rahab was full of information. In her line of work, she's heard it all. She could spot a lie from the truth. She knew men's weaknesses and frailties, what drove them, what gave them delight. And probably some even cried on her shoulder a few times. And probably was a man or two that expressed his fears about the God of Israel, Yahweh. And the more she heard and learned about this God, the more intrigued she became. She was convinced that all these stories were true. And she was open to the real and living God. Think about her life. Prostitution. It's a hard life. Lots of abuse. Lots of shame. Maybe she just longed for forgiveness. Longed for a loving heavenly father. Well, these spies hoped that they would go unnoticed. But they didn't. Word got back to the mayor of the city that there were strangers in town. And the word was already spreading how the Jews had dispatched their enemies on the other side of the Jordan River. So the mayor quickly forms a posse to go searching for them. But Rahab outwitted him. She hid them while the posse went looking for them. She said, oh, you just missed them. Where did they go? I don't know. But I'm sure if you leave quickly, you'll catch up to them. This sheriff must have been more like Barney Fife than Matt Dillon. I mean, he didn't even search. Now, we have to say something about Rahab's line. It's obviously a bull-faced lie, she tells them here. And we know that the ninth commandment is you shall not bear false witness, right? But I think there's been an exception historically and ethically, and we've seen that when it comes to protecting a human life. I think back to World War II and how some of the Europeans hid the Jews from the Nazis. I think of the Ten Boone family in the Netherlands and the hiding of Anne Frank as, as she told her story, that they would lie to the Nazis that came to the door that there's no Jews here. Rahab told the spies that the coast was clear. She risked her life to save theirs. She says, we've heard what your God has done, that he's already given you the land, including Jericho, that he parted the waters of the Red Sea. I mean, that was 40 years ago. And people are still talking about it. You've annihilated everyone on the east side of the Jordan. Shihon and Og and Og was a giant. We know we're as good as dead and we're all terrified. That fulfills something that God said years before in Deuteronomy 2.25. He said, this very day, I will begin to put the terror and fear of you on all the nations under heaven. They will hear reports of you and will tremble and be in anguish because of you. So these people in Jericho were shaking in their sandals. So at that point, I can picture in my mind, the spies put their notepads away, turned off their concealed tape recorders. They heard all that they needed to hear. Information about fortifications and troop numbers and supply lines and communication. That, that's all well and good, but nothing beats fear. 
These people were already defeated and they knew it. They had the true God on their side. Their enemies were doomed. So Rahab not only had a good handle on the facts, but she had a good handle on their God. In verse 11, for the Lord, your God is God in heaven above and earth below. It's amazing to me how sometimes unbelievers seem more perceptive and theologically correct than even believers. She was faithful to the light she had. She made there a a faith filled profession of her faith in that God. But she did more. She put her life on the line for these men and their God. If the mayor found out she was lying, you know that he would have her head. So she took a risk for God. She risked her life for God. And God may ask us someday to risk our lives for him, too. I pray that our faith will be strong enough in that day. Well, Rahab acted on her faith by hiding these men. She knew what was coming. She knew her town was about to be wiped off the map. And so she asked a favor of them. She says, I helped you. So please help me. Save me and my family. And the men agreed to the contract, but said it would be null and void if she didn't keep the secret. And they instructed her to tie a scarlet thread out the window on the wall. So when the attackers came, they would see the cord and spare their lives. But then they added, you have to stay inside the house. If you go outside, you're fair game. So Rahab lowered the men out the window on a rope and advised them to run for the hills, which they did. They hid until the posse came back into town. And then they went across the Jordan River and reported all this to Joshua. I thought about Rahab then. What did she do after that as she waited for the inevitable to happen? And I kind of pictured her pulling on the shades and putting an out of business sign on the door. And her family all moved in with her. And I pictured her standing oftentimes looking out that window, just waiting and watching, making sure the scarlet thread was still attached, that it hadn't come undone and fallen because she knew her life hung by that scarlet thread. Well, the residents of Jericho then heard a report that the vast army of the Jewish people had miraculously crossed the Jordan River at flood stage. They had taken comfort in the fact that the river, especially that time of the year when it had flooded, would provide an impossible barrier for them to cross. But here they were at their door. But at least they had their walls, their double walls. The outer wall of the two walls was so wide that you could drive a chariot across the top of it. They felt safe. Then the Jews appeared, but then they did something odd. They they didn't attack. They simply marched around the city, led by some priests carrying a strange box. And at first, that's all it was, was strange, then laughable. Are these people crazy? Are they a bunch of idiots? They just marched around the city once every day for six days. And then on the seventh day, they marched around the city seven times. By that point in time, I wonder if this was a really just a good example of psychological warfare. 
It must have been very unnerving for the people just to see them continually marching around. But then after the seventh time around the walls, they blew the horns and everybody shouted and the walls begin to crack and buckle. And then they fell straight down. And, and that's how it is for anyone who's opposed to God. They built their walls against God, but God can easily bring those down. Their walls fell flat, except for the part where Rahab lived. Isn't that amazing to see only that part of the wall still standing? Well, the Jews defeated the inhabitants of the city and spared her and her family. Years before this, while the Jewish people were still in Egypt, the night they left Egypt, they sacrificed the Passover lamb and put its blood on the doors of their homes. And that night when the angel of death went throughout the city, he spared those. He passed over those who had the blood on their doors. Now she had a crimson thread that spared her. So it was like she and her Canaanite family had their own little Passover. And when we take communion in just a few minutes, I want you to think about how we, too, have been spared. Second death. Well, that's the last mention of Rahab in the Old Testament. But there are three New Testament verses that mention Rahab. The first is in Matthew 1, 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And it goes on to say the father of David. This is amazing. In Jewish genealogy, that a woman's name would show up in it. And a foreigner, no less. So that tells us that Rahab became a follower of the true God. That she married and settled in Israel and probably in Bethlehem. She had a son named Boaz who also married a foreign woman named Ruth. And Ruth's great grandson was David. So this Rahab, this woman in this story is the great, great grandmother of the greatest king in Israel, David. And an ancestor of the king of kings. But that shouldn't surprise us because God is a God that's full of surprises. He, he chooses an elderly couple way past childbearing time to found a nation that, that would bring forth a Messiah. And he chooses a virgin girl to be the one that would bring the Messiah into the world. And he chooses a prostitute through whom his people would enter the promised land. But Jesus has more than just a physical affinity and kinship with Rahab and related, they're related. But he also had a spiritual connection with her because throughout his ministry, he was always confounding the wise and the self-righteous and extending grace to the undeserving, to people just like Rahab, to foreigners and prostitutes and lepers and tax collectors and to the uneducated, to children who he would invite to sit on his lap. He had a conversation with a Samaritan woman 
which led to her salvation. He promised a feast for beggars and poor people. And he invited people like Mary Magdalene to follow him, who was demon possessed, whom he set her free. And people like you and me. The second reference in the New Testament is Hebrews 1131. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Hebrews chapter 11, as Michelle pointed out, is called the Hall of Faith chapter. It just lists the great people of the Bible in the Old Testament and their great exploits. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, they're all listed there. And so is Rahab, the harlot. There's only two women mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, and the other woman is Sarah. James 2.25 is the third reference. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? James uses her as an example of faith that's acted upon. James says, yeah, you have to have faith. Faith is important. But his message to his people was that for your faith to be valid, you have to act on it or it's just words. So she did more than just believe. She put her belief into action. So if these three New Testament writers were inspired by the Holy Spirit to remember Rahab, I think we would do well to remember her, too. Because she reminds us of a few things. She reminds us of God's mysterious and vast grace, which is beyond comprehending. Grace for sinners. Undeserving of his mercy and love. And yet he still extends it. Rahab teaches us that. She reminds us that God will use anyone to carry out his will. Even unlikely ones. And this morning that God is inviting us to come and join me in my kingdom work. And thirdly, she reminds us there are times when we must reject our culture. And embrace the kingdom of God. Well, I really feel a kinship with Rahab and maybe you do, too. Maybe this morning you feel lonely or helpless or bored or have broken relationships in your life, or you're struggling with a certain sin that you just don't seem to be able to believe it could ever be forgiven, or maybe an addiction that those chains need to be broken and you set free. I would say to you, remember Rahab, because all of that was her life, but all of it was redeemed and changed. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is there's no place where you can be beyond God's loving reach. And God wants to adopt you into his forever family and then sweep you into his great mission work for the whole world hearing about Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this story. Thank you for what you did through Rahab, how you used her, a most unlikely person who had faith. She did have faith in you. And Lord, I pray that you would take our faith, even though it may be so small, like a mustard seed. And Lord, you would enlarge it to become mountain moving faith for you. 
And I pray for anyone that identifies with Rahab this this morning in their life, that you would give them hope and, and peace that it can change. I really can be forgiven. And I can have a new path, a new life, a, a life, Lord, where you want to be one with us or a brother or sister with us. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for her story. And thank you, Father, for the time to move into communion. And as we do that, just right there where you're seated, just talk to the Lord. Prepare your heart to receive these elements, the supper that the Lord is giving. Confess your sin. Take a moment to do that right now. If there's anything that you need to get right with God, go ahead and do that. I would encourage you also during this preparation time